Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, still less ukulele. In this episode, right now everyone is afraid of something we can't see, but for some folks, everyday life means being wary of things unseen, like gluten. All of our favorite brewing grains are full of it, but what is it? Why does it negatively impact some folks? And how can they enjoy a nice cold one? To get those answers, I'm sitting down with Brian Newscomb of the Gluten-Free Beer Brian podcast to walk through it all. But first, a message from our sponsors. And by the American Homebrewers Association, a hub for homebrewers since 1978. Visit homebrewersassociation.org for recipes, brewing tips, and community. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring Artisan Malt House Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Well, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for listening to those messages from our sponsors. And remember, as always, if you interact with them, tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files so they know that they're being mostly wise with their money. Now, as we heard in the intro today, we're going to tackle a different side of beer. And I have sitting with me, well, who do I have sitting with me? Brian. On uh, Facebook, I go by Gluten-Free Beer Brian. You're all about the gluten-free beer. Uh, as you know, just as your whole online presence. So let's talk about first, you know, how did you get into good beer to start with? Um, so I kind of got into beer kind of backwards for most people. Um, I've been celiac and gluten-free since I was 12. So I ended up not even ever tasting beer until I was 30. And that was a gluten-free beer that was just on the, 
you know, like I think it was Redbridge or something like that. Um, I didn't care for it at the time. A lot of those early gluten-free beers had something to be desired. Yeah, for sure. And then it was so different from like cider and stuff. I just wasn't prepared for that (laughs) aspect, I guess, the bitterness. Um, So then I kind of just didn't really try again until probably five or six years ago. I tried it again. It's like, oh, I kind of like it now. So then I started being like, okay, I want to find different ones. And there's just not a lot, especially at that time. So um, a couple years ago, I started a Facebook group for the gluten-free beer, which is um, gluten-free beer, great taste, less diarrhea, no association to any major manufacturers or anything, you know. Um but uh, kind of as a way to say, okay, let's try to find all the people that are celiac or gluten-free and are fans of beer and try to find, like, okay, what's out there? Um, and at this point, there's now about 15 dedicated uh, gluten-free brewers in the United States. There's a couple in Canada. Um some of them are doing some really interesting things, like very, you know, different. And a lot of them are, you know, trying to make classic styles very much in line with the rest of the craft beer movement. Well, I know that, you know, a couple of years ago here in California, it seemed like you could rob a bank with a bagel because of the gluten. Uh, and it became very trendy to, to you know, be all about gluten-free. But, I mean, as you mentioned, you have uh, your celiac. And so that's, can you, if for people who don't necessarily know and who may have just heard about gluten-free and kind of rolled their eyes at it, what exactly is celiac and how does that relate to gluten? Okay. So celiac is an autoimmune condition um, where my immune system sees gluten as a foreign invader, basically, and goes kind of crazy. It will, my immune system will attack my intestines and they become extremely inflamed. So I stop absorbing nutrients and it's horribly painful. And it's uh, very, it's like this horrible burning, excuse me, but diarrhea. And it burns from your stomach all the way to the outside. I can say for me, it's a medical necessity. Mm -hmm. There's, sort of a subset of in the gluten-free you know world where they're non-celiac gluten intolerant they have symptoms but you know lab results don't show celiac but they get sick you know when they eat gluten and uh gluten is a protein found in wheat rye and barley yeah and gluten's usually the way i think about it it's the the stretchy protein matrix that allows bread to rise which is, I think, also the reason why like gluten-free bread always has a bad reputation from so many people because it's at least the early stuff is always so dense. Oh, it it is. I mean, it's way more dense than anything else, and I really don't eat very much of the bread. I've lived without it for so long that, um, I mean, there's some out there now that's a lot better than it used to be, but you know, it's it's not something I really miss or desire in my diet. In your case, it's. I mean, it's never really been a thing that would be a big part of your diet for that reason. Right. It's been out of my diet for 30 years, so 
Now, you mentioned that there are some people who have like gluten intolerance that, you know, they don't register as, you know, a full blown celiac or something like that. I have a friend of mine who has, who has some variant of that, you know, like FODMAP or, you know, some, some sort of sensitivity to it where, yeah, uh, bread, which is sadly one of her favorite things in the universe. I've watched her destroy bread baskets before, you know, just wreaks havoc on her for days. Yeah. Now, there is a whole thing because, I mean, you're very expressly gluten-free. There is a whole other thing uh, like gluten-reduced, which is something she can have, and that doesn't mess with her. But it, I'm guessing from the descriptions of how you've been exploring, gluten-reduced doesn't work for you, right? Correct. So the gluten-reduced beers um, are made with barley. They're made just like, you know, any normal beer. And then right at yeast pitch, they throw in an enzyme um, known as Brewer's Clarex, and that supposedly breaks down the gluten proteins to the point where it's supposedly tolerable. Now, there's several problems with this. One, a lot of celiacs and even just you know gluten intolerant people still react to the small amount of you know the remaining amount of gluten that's. Uh, left over, or the peptides and the um, bits of the gluten, gluten protein that are, you know, remaining when it takes and chews up those protein strings. And the other aspect is the, it's called ELISA testing. It's E-L-I-S-A, and it stands for scientific stuff is not accurate on hydrolyzed products. And that is literally, a, I mean, so it doesn't work on anything that's fermented or been treated with an enzyme to break down the proteins. So when it says gluten reduced, it's more of like, it's sort of hidden gluten. Some people who are sensitive may be okay with it. Um, one thing, especially for celiacs, is any amount of, exposure, even if it doesn't cause symptoms, can cause long-term damage, which can lead to, you know, fun stuff like colon cancer. Well, and as you said, you know, like one of the big problems for folks with your syndrome is that, yeah, you can't absorb the nutrients. And if you are constantly inflaming that, that sec section of your system, it gets less and less effective over time to begin with anyway. So... And and for the for the record, uh, Eliza, uh, enzyme linked immunoabsorbent assay. Yes, that's the <laughs> what the acronym means. I did not have that in front of me. I didn't either. I just I knew it magically. It magically had to wait uh, thirty seconds before I could say it. Yeah, and you're and you're right. So like homebrewers, they can buy the the version of Clarex that homebrewers can buy is from White Labs, and it's called Clarity Firm. And for, right. as you pointed out, for some people that does work. And for some people, particularly a lot of celiacs, it doesn't work at all. It just kind of hides right. the problem. If at any point in time that gluten existed as something, you know, even if the the clarity firm goes in and breaks it up, it's not necessarily what you're reacting to, what your system's reacting to is the whole structure as much as maybe, you know, some of the, the, the bonds on the outside or, you know, some, some of the various, you know, structures that may still exist even after the gluten chain is broken up to a point where an ELISA test can't detect it. Exactly. That then begs the question because you've now, you've now eliminated barley, wheat, and oats. Right. 
And Rye. And Rye, yeah. I always forget, yeah, Rye too. Which, I mean, that's like a, a foundational quartet of beer making. So what do you use to make beer if you can't use those four? Okay, so um, especially the earliest you know, commercial gluten-free beers were made with um, sorghum syrup. Sorghum is a pseudo cereal. Uh, very grows a lot in Africa, um, which there's a whole bunch of traditional beers that they make there that are all made from sorghum. Hey, they even make um, Guinness with sorghum over there, right? And I think a lot of their commercial beers are sorghum with some barley, so they would not, you know, I can't just go to Africa and you know walk into a pub and drink a Guinness, um, but. The other, what we're using a lot, you know, in the homebrew section is malted rice, malted millet, and malted buckwheat. So now I know how to describe the flavors I can get from malted barley and various malted barleys, because of course I've, I've tasted so many of them, but I have to admit, I've never had malted millet or malted rice. What do these things taste like? You get some, uh, you can get kind of the toasted and biscuity notes. Now I'm really pushing it to think what each grain tastes like. Because to me, they taste normal. Um, I mean, so the malted rice doesn't taste like ricey to me. And the millet doesn't taste, you know, the same way that like crackers or something that are made with millet. Um, and the buckwheat doesn't taste like buckwheat cereals. You know, it's, they have good body and flavor. They come out malty, a lot of them. You know, that, that kind of sweetness that you get with a good malt. Well, and I know there are some, um, I know like, a, I think it's Groundbreaker uh, in Portland, Oregon. We've had them on the show before. They're using things like, I want to say chestnuts and other yeah other top secret ingredients that they weren't quite willing to divulge because their beers are really awesome. I've had a few of theirs and they're, they are good. Yeah. And yeah. So I mean, to me, it's kind of funny. Cause like, I always think of like rice when it goes into a beer, what, what it ends up doing is almost disappearing in the finish. Like when, a, after it's fermented and you just kind of get like a, a very crisp and I always get that slight sugary sweetness, like rice paper candy. But you know, I'm, I'd, I'd be really curious to see what the the malting process does to change the flavor on it. Those grains now, do they come in? I mean, if you go and you look at like barley, of course, maltsters over time have developed, you know, okay, we've got our pale barleys, we've got our caramel crystallized barleys, we've got roasted barleys. Do we see the same variety in like these malted alternatives, like the malted millet and the rice and, and the buckwheat? Yes, we've got, um, so we've got, Pale rice malt, uh, crystal rice. There's a James Brown rice. There's one that's the darkest one uh, is, uh, called gas hog rice. So it's probably more towards, use it like in a porter or a stout. Um, the same thing with the millet. You've got, you know, like American roast biscuit, oh, biscuit rice, French roast millet, um, goldfinch roasted roast or I'm sorry, Goldfinch Millet, Roasted Goldfinch Millet, Munich, Vienna. Um, there's a few smoked um, 
on the rice, like you can get an applewood smoked or cherry smoked. I love cherry smoked uh, barley, so it'd be interesting to see that in rice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm doing a um, porter soon with the cherry smoke uh, rice in it. So I'm excited to try that out. Um, you know, dark millet, medium roast, chocolate roast. So we've got pretty much. So, I mean, you have a brewer's palate. You know, you, yes. You know, it, yes. It's just starting with some different basics. Now, I always tell people that the enzymatic structure of barley and the fact that it likes to, you know, self-convert when you hit it with, you know, water at an appropriate temperature is right. one of those little minor miracles of science that, and nature mm-hmm. that makes us go, well, yes, obviously we're supposed to be drinking beer. This happens naturally. <laughs> is it the same for using these alternative grains or is there other work that you have to do now? So with the, these alternative grains that we're using, they really do not self-convert well. Part of it is that the um, gelatinization temperature is much higher, especially with the rice. Uh, when I mash in, I bring my mash water to 200 before I add it to my grains. Uh, so my first step is at 180. And so we use um, lab-made enzymes to add in. Um, I use ter- teramol, which is a alpha endo amylase enzyme and that kind of helps break the starch into the long chains and then when i do my second step which is more around you know 145 150 i'm using um sebamol enzyme and that you know breaks those down into the fermentable sugars so my mashes are a lot longer than i think the typical barley mash i do 90 minutes for each step that is a lot longer. Yeah. So, and I've let it go longer than that. I pitched my second enzyme once it got down to that temperature range and then made dinner, fed the family, you know, whatever. And then I went back to the the brewing process and my boil got really good conversion. Well, I mean, hey, for some people that would be a, that would be an advantage to be able to break things down that way. Right. Oh, it can be, you know, I think during the first step I went and like took a shower and, you know, I've run errands, go, I mean, it's an hour and a half for each step. So I can do a lot in an hour and a half. Now, are, are you letting, I mean, I know you said you started at like 180 with the rice and mm-hmm. listener, listeners will remember, I've talked about the American cereal cooker method for when you're making light lagers, which you have to do because rice doesn't convert or doesn't gelatinize it at regular mash temperature. So you have to do a side mash. You're effectively starting your whole body at that sort of cereal mash step. Do you let it drift down to the lower temperatures or are you like adding cold water to move it down? Um, my current setup, I'm letting it drift down. Mm -hmm. Uh, once in a while I'll actually add some hot water to make sure it stays, you know, kind of up there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if it starts getting down towards like one, 70, depending how much time I've got left, you know, I'll throw some extra hot water in there just to make sure it stays in that 170 to 180 range Mm -hmm. long enough. Usually it's just the way the cooler mash, coolers I'm using, kind of, you know, their properties. The timing's almost perfect. When I go to pitch my second enzyme, it's just at the top of the uh, range, you know, so it doesn't denature it. 
And I let that sit through. And then when I come back, it's right at the bottom of the range. I'm like, perfect. Using using your own natural heat loss to your advantage. Why not? Right. It, It just works well. I mean, if I needed to, I could throw some cold water in there and cool it down a bit. I always figure, you know... I like the KISS roll, just keep it simple. Uh, Though there is a new enzyme um, on Dina Pro that does kind of hit the market for us, and it's showing really good returns. People reporting better body, better head retention, and higher efficiency to the point that they're actually recalculating what we can get out of rice by about 8 to 10 points. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's like a big deal. People are like uh, posting, like, um, yeah, I just got 125% efficiency. <laughs> and we're like, wait, what? Uh, hold on. I That math isn't supposed to work that way. That's not how math works. Exactly. And that's when they're like, um, okay, let's try this a few more times. And then, okay, I guess we have to start re-evaluating what we can actually get out of rice. And on the website, it's uh, glutenfreehomebrewing.com is where we buy our malts, at least on the homebrew scale. They have, you know, the, the malt and they give you all the, you know, the PPGs and all the stats on it. And they actually have two sets of stats, one for, you know, the traditional enzymes that we've been using. And then, but if you're using Andina Pro, <laughs> here's here's your uh, PPGs and it's it's about eight to ten points higher, so yeah, that's I'm like okay, I'm ordering that soon. Do you see homebrewers home moving to just using that new enzyme, or are there still reasons to use the other ones as well? There do seem to be reasons to use the the Teramol, which is you know the high temperature enzyme. Right, that's the one that's doing your initial big alpha, big chain breaking. Yep, that's one that's helping get all those starches broke down to where they can be converted by the second set of enzymes into your fermentables and everything else that you want. Well, now, I mean, that's kind of cool that you get to see, actually see like a real sea change in, in this. So a couple other questions that occur to me. So one of the things that we also depend upon in the world of barley is that husk to help us do the, do the water and the sparge, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a thing that we also do, you know, is use rice holes. Um, I mean, what are you, what are you doing for, for your grains? So we use rice holes too. Good. (laughs) Um, If the rice, the malted rice comes with holes on it. Okay. Sometimes you'll add, you know, maybe half a pound of rice holes or something, depending, you know, like if you just don't have a lot of rice in there or no rice, um, you'll have to you know, add those in there so that you don't get a stuck sparge. Mm-hmm. I know one other, and this kind of goes along the same thing with the laudering process, is the grains, our grains start off much smaller than barley. And of course, once you grind them, then they're even smaller. So we're using um, like 1,000 micron screens in our mash tons. Oh, wow. Yeah, or, you know, a brew bag, that's, I'm using a bag. It works great. Um, I mean, I got my two coolers for 20 bucks each. I'm like, hey, I've got basically $40 set up. You know, with a, I've got like a strainer basket basically that I set my grain bag in and water through and I'm good. 
and I do grind mine. I just use a knockoff Corona mill. You know, like after like 20 bucks off of Amazon or eBay or wherever. Yeah, if you don't have to worry about tearing uh, tearing husks and hulls and whatnot. And you, yeah, Corona mill works perfectly fine. That's what we use to grind our rice when we're making our American light lager. And it was a money thing. There is a, um, you know, just kind of new to the market. It's a, I think it's a monster mill that was custom built and like it has custom rollers and the gap setting is made so that it'll go a lot closer because we have to do a, a smaller grind that or mash or, you know, crush than, you know, barley brewers need. So they, you know, designed this with the, that company and, but that's like, you know, $300. I'm like, okay, 300 versus 20. I'll go with the $20 one. Yeah, that is actually, it's the Monster Mills MM2 Pro Gluten-Free Malt Edition, which yep. is at the Gluten-Free Homebrew. Um, now, what, I, I mean, I assume nothing changes about the boil, right? I mean, once you get the, yeah. once you get the liquid into the kettle, it's a boil. Now, I do know, yeah. I do know that you have to be careful about the yeast. Yes. So once you get to the, you know, pitching your yeast, you have to be sure that the yeast is also gluten-free, which for 99% of the time means a dry yeast. Mm-hmm. There are a few liquid yeasts just now kind of coming available that are gluten-free. Um, uh, GlutenFreeHomebrewing.com has or had some. It's really just going to be a seasonal option because mm-hmm. of... You know, they don't want to ship it when it's hot outside and they, it's bad for the yeast to, you know, be shipped that way. Um, I know that why yeast for a while, and I think they stopped doing it, they had a gluten-free option. Yeah, there's been a few kind of hit and miss. Um, I think Bootleg Biology has a Kvike, but it was, when I was just looking, it wasn't available. And I think I emailed them and they said that they would have it available again some point they didn't tell me a day <laughs> so i ended up like searching around and finally finding um somewhere in the uk i could get some dry cake yeast from and i'm like geeked out to use that but you know that's definitely one of the challenges that we have is you know you could just run down to the homebrew shop and pick you know have your pick of yeast and then i go and i've got like this small selection or I have to start, you know, really digging and ordering from, you know, overseas or wherever I'm going to, you know, be able to find it. Yeah, I mean, that that is a, a challenge. But, I mean, the good thing is, I mean, at least you do have options. As we've said, you know, the world of dry yeast is radically improving in terms of what's available to you to use. So it's no longer quite as boring. The beer, we've got the yeast. This is all the mechanics of it. I know there's a trick to this. To your mind, what is either the trickiest part of brewing gluten-free? And also, how do you make gluten-free beer that your friends who aren't necessarily gluten-free will enjoy to drink? Well, if you want them to enjoy it, you just don't tell them it's (laughs) (laughs) gluten-free. If you do that the other way around, that doesn't work well. Because... Anyone that's tried any of the beers I've made have not guessed that it was gluten-free or that there's anything weird about the grain bill, especially 
the ones that I've made from, you know, like the rice malts and the rice millet malts. Some of them, I mean, if you're really analyzing it, you might find it's like, oh, it's a little bit like, you know, like it's a little bit thinner. It's like the head isn't quite as, you know, doesn't stick around that as long or. Yeah, I was going to say, it's usually the head that gives it away to me. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I mean, some people would really pick it off, but, you know, most of your, your buddies, unless they're, you know, really beer nerdy, are not going to know. And if they know it's homebrew, they're just going to be like, oh, well, maybe he just doesn't get a good head because it's homebrew, you know, or he's undercarbonated or, you know, whatever like that. I kind of take your carbonation, you know, like when you're adding your measured amount of sugar to when you're bottling, I go up a bit just so I get a little bit more carbonation so that it does form a better head. And it seems to be working so far, <laughs> at least helping kind of. You know, it's not going to stay around if it never forms in the first place. So, what do you? What else do you consider to be tricky? I mean, uh, I like I said, I I always think about head and gluten free beer because, I mean, I, I mean, you guys, I mean, you can use heading powder, yes. Right. Yeah, we can use. Um, of course, right now maltodextrin, as long as it's from tapioca and not from wheat. Yeah, that, and that's one of those like, uh, you know, you got to find a source and that you trust. I, I feel for you on that, uh, on this, on that challenge. Just, you got to constantly sit there and worry, okay, is this going to do something bad? Right. Oh, exactly. And I mean, I've been living with it for 30 years. So for me, it's all so much of the process of cooking and, and now brewing gluten-free, even though I mean, my family doesn't eat gluten-free. So there's, mm -hmm. you know, gluten stuff around the house. I make pasta for the family and I've got my gluten-free in one pot and theirs in the other, and I don't get them mixed together. Um, you know, I don't contain, put their spoon into my pasta pot or anything right. like that. If you have got, you know, it's like, it's say you were going to make a gluten-free beer for your friend who's celiac. Mm -hmm. You would want to not use like your mash ton or anything that's porous, like yeah. Uh, you'd want to use a glass fermenter, not a plastic one. You'd want to get some new hose, you know, anything you need to transfer with your hoses and whatnot as new. Um, I mean, essentially it's, it's doing the same sort of level of isolation. Like what we tend to talk about for sour brewing, just a little, yes. a little further back now. Right. Exactly. It's, you know, I mean, you have to do it from beginning to end so far as, you know, the mill that's used to mill the grains you would have to maybe use your Corona mill that you've only used for the rice. <laughs> um, but even like, you know, if I'm going to go buy, say, just some flaked corn, I've got to be careful that I don't go to my homebrew shop because, you know, they've got some gluten dust floating around from milling other grains. And then, you know, that's going to get into the bin of the flaked corn. Well, and yeah, and for me, like even with my spare Corona mill that's only ever touched rice, I'd, I think I'd have to be paranoid about cleaning it first for that exact same yeah, reason. Yeah, it would be good. <laughs> and talk to whoever you're brewing it for and invite them to come help because, you know, they'll probably really know like how clean they want things and they'll just be more comfortable and more comfortable, basically, you know, and trusting of the whole process that, okay, this really is gluten free. You know, and some people would probably just be like, nope, it came out of a house that had a piece of gluten in it one time. I'm not doing it. It's like, okay. 
Because I know, and it depends. Some people are so sensitive that, you know, like they make their whole families go gluten free because it just, you know, they keep getting sick, even though like they're eating right. It's still kind of contaminating into their food somehow. So. Oh, well, and, and of course, different people have different levels of sensitivity as well. I mean, I know there are some right, people who right. basically break out into hives if they get within three miles of a flower. It right. just happens. <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, you always have to check. Like one of the most uncomfortable things as a celiac is when someone brings you food and you're looking at it like, do I dare? <laughs> you know, and you know that they went to effort to try to make this gluten free for you. And you're like, oh, you know, it, it gets into that whole social awkwardness of you don't want to hurt your friend's feeling by saying, okay, I really don't want to consume that because I don't trust your kitchen. <laughs> it's not that I don't trust you or, you know, believe that you did everything you could, but it's really not worth feeling like I'm going to die for three days. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that's a good point for, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do some gluten-free brewing for friends who require gluten-free uh, brewing practices, yeah, it's a good idea to bring them bring them on board because they know what they can do. They know what they need. And as you said, it's a matter of trust. Yep. yep. And comfort, you know, and it's just, and it's a, hey, you get them in. I'd love to invite people, you know, someone to come brew with me. It'd be fun. Plus, let's never forget, it's always valuable to have extra hands on a brew day so you don't have to do as much work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I put my boys to work. Though they run the mill for me. They bottle for me. <laughs> well, I think that's my primary reason to have kids. Yeah, I mean that's why I had them. <laughs> there we go. Really, really, I'm sitting right next to you. <laughs> Don't tell mom. Really, 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 really. Okay, now uh, now that we've uh, uh, forever scarred your child, um. Let's talk a sample recipe. Can can you give me a recipe for one of your beers that you really love? Most recent one I did was an Oktoberfest, and it was six pounds of Vienna millet, five pounds of biscuit rice, four pounds of Munich millet, two pounds of pale buckwheat malt, ounce of Mount Hood hops, one ounce Holotro hops. And then, you know, the whirl flock at the end and uh, Lala made Munich yeast to ferment it. And it came out so good. See, that's nifty. Oh, yeah. It was, it's awesome. I got two bottles left. Is that, it? that's always the way, right? I just ran out of one of my favorite beers that I made the other day and went, ah. and I was like, I got to go brew. Oh, damn. I have to go brew again. Exactly. Well, now, why don't we go ahead and, and you actually sent me a, uh, a four pack of Bard's Lager. Figured we should taste yes. a, a commercial example of the stuff. Uh, and I'm going to guess you're very familiar with the beer. Yes. There we go. So, I mean, the first thing I'm noticing is, I mean, yeah, this is a very pale, very lager esque color, right? You know, if you poured this and said, hey, you know, I, I got you a a Bud Light or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Actually, that's more color than Bud Light. Um, but I do know, that it, like like we were talking about earlier, yeah, the head on this, it pops up and then it just disappears. Um, yeah. And I know what Bards is made with uh, sorghum. Yep, it's 100% um, 
malted sorghum and most of like the red bridge which is from anheuser-busch mm -hmm. and uh what's the other kind of mainstay one is um from lakefront brewing oh new grist from lakefront is from sorghum syrup but bards actually has malted sorghum and you know so like they have malted sorghum that they grind and mash do, do you think sorghum is so so popular in the bigger operations just because of its availability and or just the amount of technique and time spent around sorghum and the stuff that you're using now is newer yes i think that's a lot of it um i think this the sorghum syrup also cuts out you know them needing to say dedicate a mash for it and a mill and you know so it cuts out all of that kind of process you know so it makes it so that they can just they all they need is a boil kettle which i mean that's stainless so you can totally clean that to be you know gluten safe and a fermenter same thing it's going to be stainless and it's you know gluten safe um a mash ton would be pretty much impossible to get yeah you'd have to have like a custom built just for you, never used for anything else, stainless steel mashed on. Mm -hmm. Well, and especially because of the false bottom, I went and I met with a brewery that I'm doing a um, sort of guest brewing at. We're doing an event on May 9th for celiac awareness. Month. And this brewery is not normally gluten free. It's they do one gluten free beer that they keep on tap always. It's a uh, patron saints in Toledo, Ohio. And, and I mean, I was like talking to him about his beer and then I was like, oh, hey, I make beer. <laughs> and he's like, bring one over and I'll try it. And my dad, and he's like, hey, you want to make this here for like celiac awareness month? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if someone asks you to come brew at their brewery and you say yes. Um, you know, always. Unless their beer is really bad. But um, I was, you know, looking over his setup and as you know looking at the uh screen of the mash tun i was like yeah no i don't think we can get that you know clean to the point where i'm confident that every bit of gluten's gone because there's a lot of little nooks and crannies in each one of those holes <laughs> you know a little bit could sort of stay in and you yeah, can't exactly. scrub out so yeah you would literally have to start from new and and just keep it completely mm -hmm. above board so in tasting the, the yeah. bards, I mean, one, it's got a pleasant hop character to it. I mean, it's obvious they're going for kind of like yield American lager, blonde, you know, pub beer, right? You know, something that you don't have to pay a lot of attention mm -hmm. to. Nice hop character to it. Yeah, the carbonation, that head just drops away super fast. But the, the other thing I've always noticed with sorghum that I get is uh, sorghum has a a little tang to the finish. And mm -hmm. I think almost all of the sorghum beers that that I've had, or at least that I knew were sorghum, I've registered that little that little tang in the finish. Right. For listeners, when I'm saying tang, I don't mean like like full blown like kettle sour sourness. I just mean like it's just that little extra like uh, somebody squeezed a little lemon juice into into your salad, you know, just a little. And it, it's it's very distinctive to me. But I mean, again, at the same time, if I wasn't thinking about, oh, hey, you know, this is a gluten-free beer, I don't know if it would immediately occur to me until I'm like halfway through the glass to go, there's something slightly different here. 
Now, are you picking up that same tang in the? Oh yeah, no, that's that's what I'm talking about in in the bards. I get yeah. It's just okay. It's right there at the finish. It's just a little a little extra uh, tanginess, a little zippiness. And it's not a ba- it's not a bad thing. It's just it's a a different character. Yeah, I think that's a lot of where you know gluten free beer gets a bad rap from some people is because it's different. You know, I mean, it's we're using completely different ingredients. So, you know, I think there's sort of like a certain you have to set some expectation that this is going to taste a little bit different. But is it good? And you've got to look. I mean, how how much of the world's population has been devoted to making sort of beer strength beverages out of whatever they could get their hands on? And I mean, early American brewing here, you know, with the colonists, you know, it wasn't barley based. A lot of it was acorn based. Mm-hmm. Um, in South America, they do or did, and I think still do a yeah, lot. The, the classic corn. being chicha. And there's a, a yeah, and there's a, a brewery in Colorado. I mean, it's Dos Lucis that is doing all of their beers are corn based. It's so they're doing traditional beers that sort of just happen to be gluten free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's like. I'm loving it. I can't wait to get my hand on some of their beer. Um, well, and speaking of that, uh, there was one beer that we were trying to get uh, get our paws on, but unfortunately, due to all the lockdown status that's going on, well, everywhere, <laughs> didn't get didn't right. get my hands on it. But you you are a real big fan of uh, it's Divine Science. Yeah, it's Divine Science, and that's what I'm actually drinking right now. I'm drinking the uh, blonde from them. And what do you get different from them than, say, other gluten-free breweries, like, say, Bards? Oh, there's more body. Um, I think his – where did I put the can? Because it actually says what's in it. So this one is made with water, rice, millet, organic maize, hops, and yeast. Um, So it tastes – you don't have that same tang Mm -hmm. that, that you're describing in the uh, sorghum beer and because they used malted maize, malted uh, corn, I believe it's blue corn in this one. Um, you have, I think a better, you know, that corn note that you get in a blonde. The other blonde I had was from um, Glutenberg, which is out of Canada. And I honestly didn't really like the blonde. Um, I felt it tasted kind of like raw corn, and this tastes more like you know, the little corn note you get is more kind of that good sweet corn that comes off the grill that was grilled in the husk. You know, like at least that's what it makes me think of. Um, a lot of times when I'm drinking, I taste things and they make me think of you know a thing more than or a, a thing or an activity more than a flavor necessarily you know um like the bards i first thing i thought was oh it smells like baseball i can understand that yeah absolutely it smells like the beer that people drink at baseball games that's what i thought it smelled like and you know the other you know 100 percent sorghum beers don't do that <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. you know have that i prefer the bards over the other um the Red Bridge and the New Grist, I just felt it had 
sort of better balanced, just cleaner than those ones mm-hmm. are. Um, well, and, and this one, I mean, I mean, it again. If you if you're not like thinking to yourself, oh, this is gluten free, this is different. I mean, it, you're absolutely right. I totally get what you what you mean, like uh, baseball beer or stadium beer. Yeah, uh, it's that right. that inexpensive draft lager that you're just sitting there with you know, with a big old cup of, you know, while watching a game. Yep. Perfect one for after you're done mowing the lawn or whatever, you know, day at the beach, just kicking back, you know, not really putting, you know, like all of your thought into, you know, analyzing the beer that you're drinking. How dare you do that? (laughs) Well, I appreciate you sending me this and I appreciate you taking the time to talk about gluten-free brewing. And in fact, I mean, again, this is just a different branch of fermentation science now. Yep. For people who are who are curious about gluten free brewing, or you know, possibly helping out people in their lives who need gluten free, or you know, possibly just want to understand how to try a different fermentation challenge, where can they where can they go find find you and dig into the knowledge of how to make good gluten free beer? Okay, so you can find me on Facebook as Gluten Free Beer Brian. That's my, like, my personal beer page. And then I have two groups. One is Gluten-Free Beer, Great Taste, Less Diarrhea. Um, That I started two years ago with a buddy, and then we added two more guys for the admin team. Um, And that's, you know, people just come in, they post, oh, this is what I found here. People can come in and just ask general questions. Um, then there's GF beer trader, which is a group for just what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. If you can't get it in your neck of the woods, maybe someone on there will, you know, work something out with you. Um, and then I've got a podcast under the name gluten-free beer, Brian. It's on Spotify, Apple, uh, podcasts and anchor. Um, and then, and it's, I'm very early in that. So if you listen and are like, wow, this guy just sucks at podcasting. That's because I don't know how to edit very well. Well, I will remind listeners to go Um, back to listen to our first couple episodes on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) These are just some of them I recorded on my way home from work. So I've, you know, worked 14 hours driving home at six o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like rambling on about fermenting stuff. Um, sounds like my life. Yeah. You know, and then there's a group that I'm in. I'm not, you know, part of the leadership of this group. It's zero tolerance, gluten-free home brewing. Um, and there is so much knowledge in there that, you know, it just boggles my mind. And then, as we mentioned before, the gluten-free home brewing dot com mm-hmm. is basically the place to go and get your malt they have kits so you can get like an all grain kit from them you can do uh what we turn like partial grain mm-hmm. so it's using sorghum kind of as the fermentable base and then you've got the grains for the character uh and that's a really good way to start off if you want to make a really good gluten-free beer for someone because you don't have to worry about really getting conversion out of those grains. You 
mostly need them for the the character mm-hmm. and the, you know they'll add the body and the flavor and the color and make it a lot better and you that also helps really combat the sorghum twang from the syrup right. well and then i think what uh, you have a uh you have an anniversary party coming up later in the year right yes i have an anniversary party for the gluten-free beer great taste less diarrhea page at Rolling Mill Brewing Company in Middletown, Ohio, on August 1st from 5 to 9 p.m., we're doing a gluten-free bottle swap. Uh, they're going to have a food truck, and I will be announcing the homebrew winner for a contest that I am hosting. Um, and this contest is the parameters are best head and best efficiency. Because those are kind of the the big challenges in uh, gluten free brewing. Um, and if you want more details on that, you can just look up my page, and I've got the event posted on there. And we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. So uh, you know, put down yeah. your pads of paper. We got you covered. <laughs> well, Brian. I want to thank you so much for taking some of your time here to introduce the listeners to, you know, really some of the mechanics of how, how you make gluten-free beer, uh, some of the challenges of it. And obviously people, this is just a tiny little scratch off the top of the surface. So go find Brian at all of his various, uh, various groups. We'll include the links into the, in the show notes so that you'll be able to, to get there immediately. And all I can say is cheers to beer in all of its various forms and all of its various ingredients. Agreed. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of gluten-free brewing. It's a whole other skill set, a whole other set of ingredients to play with, and definitely a brand new technique and new enzymes to play with. Do you have someone in your life who needs a beer without the gluten? Well, now you can start and let us know if you're doing it as well. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter, at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is not one more vet. And if you go and look at my Facebook page, I'm very easy to find. I'm there publicly, Drew Beecham. You'll find that I posted a TED Talk from a doctor who mentions not one more vet and exactly the stresses that vets go through. So go give that a listen and understand why we're collecting money for not one more vet. Now, until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. This episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publishing books of enduring value for amateur and professional brewers, as well as titles that promote understanding and appreciation of American craft beer. Visit BrewersPublications.com to learn more.